I took it upon myself that if I was going to venture into academia, I wasn't going to become a person who just sat back and lost touch with the industry. So I am involved in hotels every day, every week. Welcome to the second season of The Modern Hotelier, the fastest growing hospitality podcast. Both hosts were named top 100 most powerful people in hospitality and voted fourth most popular podcast by the International Hospitality Institute. Each episode will get to know an industry expert and we'll discuss the latest trends in hospitality to help you, the modern hotelier. Welcome to the modern hotelier. I'm your host, David Malilli. I'm your co-host, Steve Karen, And I'm the producer, John Boomhofer. Welcome to today's episode. We're thrilled to introduce you to Stay Flexi, an innovative platform revolutionizing the hospitality industry. Backed by Y Combinator, Stay Flexi is a modern, all-in-one PMS platform. Leveraging the power of AI, it's transforming how hotels operate, maximizing efficiency, and boosting sales for unsold rooms. Already, over 2,000 properties worldwide have made the switch to Stay Flexi, experiencing the difference it makes. And here's the best part. Exclusively for our listeners, Stay Flexi is offering an incredible lifetime deal at just $149 per month. That's an astounding 80% discount. Don't miss this opportunity to elevate your hotel's performance with Stay Flexi. Stay tuned for more details. Steve, who do we have on the program today? Yeah, David, today we have um, Peter Ricci, Clinical Professor and Director of Hospitality Management Programs at Florida Atlantic University. Peter is a hospitality leader with 30 plus years of experience in the tourism industry and academia. During the past 15 years, Peter has focused on developing the Hospitality and Tourism Management Program at Florida Atlantic University. Welcome to the show, Peter. Hey, thank you, guys. It's nice to be here. Right. So, Peter, we're going to go through three sections. We're going to go through, get to know you a little bit better, talk about your career, and then get into the industry. So, sound good? Absolutely. Go ahead. All right. So, what was the worst job you ever had? Worst job I ever had? Uh, six months at Delta Airlines being a computer programmer trainee. Not the airline, the job. <laughs> Got it. Are you a morning or a night person? Oh, definitely night person. I, I'd thrive in the casino or nightclub business. <laughs> all right, good. So if you had to delete all the apps from your phone except three, what three apps are you going to keep on your phone? Bank of America, because I need to know exactly how much is in the checking since I'm not good with money saving. Uh, Duncan, because I got to have my tea every day. And I guess Duo, because I need my work email. <laughs> got it. <laughs> All right. What's the emoji you use the most? Uh, happy face. Happy right. face. I'm a happy guy. Where's your favorite place to go on vacation? Uh, any, anywhere there's a casino. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. So if you had your own talk show, who would your first guest be? They can be dead or alive. Your first guest. Oh, my goodness. Well, I've always wanted to meet her because I'm a kid of the 80s. So I'd have to say Madonna. Wow. That's a good one. So here we go. If you had a time machine... And you could go into the future or back into the past. Which way are you going and what year are you going to? Uh, 1985, the best year I ever had on the planet. I don't know why I turned 20, but everything was together that year. I loved it. Yeah, the 80s were great. <laughs> I have that same thing with 1996. I've never heard anybody else have that, but I'm this Specific is awesome. Specific year. I yeah, remember exactly. that year. Like Everything was fantastic in my memory in that year. <laughs> 
Awesome. Awesome. Well, that was great. So now we're going to get to learn about you a little bit more, kind of what makes you tick. So where did you grow up? I moved to Florida when I was 12 years old from New York. And um, really, I've been rarely back to New York all these years. And I've lived in the Southeast the rest of my life. So I'm 58. So the whole rest of the time been in the Southeast. Part of my job took me all over Florida. So I've been lucky. I've lived in every, almost every corner of Florida that exists. Wow. How did growing up in New York and then moving to Florida when you were 12, how did that kind of shape into who you are today? You know, people still tell me I have a very New York attitude in terms of high pace, get things done, immediacy. Um, I've never lost that. I, I attribute that to elementary school and maybe my my early upbringing. When I moved here, I was in the seventh grade. And I remember that first year, the English teacher worked on getting rid of my New York accent. And that's all I remember from that year. But my pace People still tell me, oh, are you from New York? But you don't sound it. So I guess there's a certain pace in New York, but I don't go back much. I just never lost it, whatever that is. Yeah, there def- definitely is. People are just trying to, people are trying to get in and out of places so quick because it's so difficult to get into Manhattan or Brooklyn or Queens. But anyway, so that's, that's good. So you graduated from Florida with a bachelor's in sociology and a master's in tourism and commercial recreation. How did you know that you wanted to get into tourism, hospitality? What kind of led you to that decision? You know, I started in high school in fine dining. I worked uh, all through 14 to 21 pretty much in food and beverage and catering and banquets. On campus, I worked for Aramark. So it was always a part of me. I wanted to go to law school. I read a book that you could be a, a hospitality lawyer. It was one of the career silos in the travel book that I read. And then I absolutely hated law school. So I wound up right back in uh, Gainesville to do my master's. And the closest thing they had to hospitality was recreational studies. So, you know, all through my early years, it should have been evident, but it wasn't. I mean, my part-time job was at a travel agency if I wasn't working at Aramark. I interned for the airlines. Everything I did was tourism. And what I like now, all this time later, is that I approach the business from a very tourism perspective. Hotels happen to be my favorite part of my career, but I look at tour operators and wholesalers and technology apps and distribution systems and the whole enchilada, I call it. So I I approach the business very differently from someone who's just been in hotels and and whatnot. But I guess you could say my whole life. I do remember a person coming to the house when I was a teenager that was trying to do door-to-door sales for a travel agency school. And they even had a vinyl, like, 45 record that you could listen to all the career path. And um, I almost did it, but I didn't do it. But I so I guess my whole life. (laughs) That's awesome. So one thing that I found when I was researching with you was you have a lot of certifications. And one thing that I was kind of shocked about was most of them are up to date and they're still active. So I, I understand you're in education, but why do you keep furthering yourself and getting these certifications and advancing your education even though that's kind of what you do on a day-to-day basis almost. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, and if you if you find one that's not up to date, let me know because I'll <laughs> fix that. And I'm doing one right now, the Certified Hospitality Manager, which is the brand new one from the combination of American Hotel Lodging Educational Institute slash National Restaurant Association. They're kind of one now. 
But I took it upon myself that if I was going to venture into academia, I wasn't going to become a person who just sat back and lost touch with the industry. So I am involved in hotels every day, every week. From here, I go to the diplomat in Hollywood to have a meeting with one of my alums who's the revenue director. And if you don't stay current, as soon as I, let's put it this way, as soon as I see a student or a colleague or a hotel owner look at me like an academic, I'll shoot myself. (laughs) And not literally for those of you watching, but I just... I want to be an active industry guy who gets it. I don't want to be siloed in some academic campus. My whole pathway into academia was kind of weird anyway. I never planned to be an academic. So that's kind of why I stay up on them. And, you know, there's plenty that I've looked at that I haven't pursued that I was about to, but I really do the ones that I think have the most impact on the industry for the next 50 years. So technology mixed in with revenue and consumer decision, that's really important to me. The future of hotel management in a time where we are raising labor rates like never before, and we have to understand how we're going to make flow through for profitability. So anything in there with efficiencies, yet maintaining guest service. So funny thing for you, Steve, one student asked me one time, are those really things or did a, did your cat run over your keyboard? So I love that. Every time I meet someone, I tell them that story because I just tickled me. I said, no, they're real stuff, you know. <laughs> I thought about reading all the qualifications, but I just, I, I went yeah. against it. It would have taken too long. <laughs> well, you know, another funny thing is like we're in the, we're in the um, point in history where a bachelor's degree is not really a requirement anymore for success of any kind. And not that it ever was, but it had become the high school degree of the 70s and 80s, at one point where most of my students felt it was a must to get a bachelor's. That's not the case anymore. You can load up with certifications and lifelong education and training on your topical zones, and maybe you don't need an MBA or a bachelor's, or maybe you do want one, but I I just like them because it's a new way of learning. Absolutely. Well, that was great. Now we're going to get into your career, kind of how you ended up where you are today. And uh, we share another commonality is we both were dishwashers. And that was, I believe, your first job at the age of 14. You were a dishwasher. Yes, I was a dishwasher. Yes. And um, I got the job because I wanted money to go on the high school trip to Spain. And my dad said no. And I wanted to go roller skating twice a week. And he said once. And I said, okay, screw you. I'm going to go get a job. So I got a job and I wound up loving it. It was in fine dining. And, you know, I've just never, never left. And it's funny. um, One of my students the past year, and she was um, a non-typical undergrad, probably in her 40s. She asked me if I took the the dishwasher job because I had bad grades. And I said, what? And she said, well, I, did, were you doing something wrong? Because I don't even like to wash dishes at home. And I said, no, that was the job they permitted me to get as a teenager. It was either that or a busser. And I quickly moved to be a busser, which to this day was one of the most exciting promotions I ever had because It was quite a bit more money, and I didn't have to go home smelling like soap all the time. But the the discipline I got from working in food and beverage and balancing time with with homework and trying to maintain grades that would get me into University of Florida, you know, you learn a lot. And I would do it all over again. I, um, I just posted something last week on LinkedIn. There's some 
bill proposed, uh, don't don't quote me exactly what it is, but there's some proposed bill in Florida to permit 16-year-olds to work in roofing. And I said, well, where where are we with hiring 16-year-olds in the hospitality business? We need them back. I see too many owners that shy away from it for whatever reason. And I think that's a disservice to work ethic and time management skills and just interacting with people. We are on the exact same page. I love that. So after college, you were an adjunct instructor and you also were at Forbes Hamilton Management Company for 11 years. How did working in the management company and being a hospitality professor give you a different perspective on the industry? Well, you know, it's weird. I came out of grad school. I had planned to go to law school. So coming out of grad school, I didn't know what I was going to do. I had three job offers. One was for Marriott, one was with Disney, and one was with an incentive travel company that did meetings and and conferences at sea. So of course, at 23, I took that one because it was more fun. And that led to a job at the Convention and Visitors Bureau in Miami, where I stayed for a couple of years, probably three or four years. And while I was at the CVB, everybody was telling me, oh, you're so lucky. You never suffered managing hotels. You got right into the glamorous world of a destination marketing group. And I'm like, what are you talking about? So for me, Mr. I like challenges. I took that as I need to go work in a hotel. So back in Gainesville, where I went to school, Forbes Hamilton was building the first new luxury hotel in Gainesville that they had had. And um, I was uh, opening DOS and I became the GM, I think, before we opened or, yeah, I guess right before we opened. And I wound up loving the hotel business. And the guy who runs Forbes Hamilton, I worked for them on and off for a decade. You know, it wasn't always steady. It was whenever Tom had a project. He's an accountant by nature and his original business partner was a sales and marketing guy. So the two of them together, I have both sides of that skill set. And I would gravitate to his, his business partner one day, I'd gravitate to Tom the other day. But I learned the management company side, which still fascinates me. And I had a chat yesterday with Chris Russell, who's a CEO of Spire Hotels. And we agree on this totally, that the young professional coming into the business or the career switcher should really think about management companies just for the fact that you learn all the brand standards of so many brands. You know, I have long-term friends, 30 years at one brand, and they've worked multiple brands. I mean, Marriott is what, 31 brands now? But there's nothing like one day you're picking up a Ramada, the next day you have a Sheridan, then you have a Wyndham. There's just something about that that I thrived on. I like learning a little bit about all these companies. That's great. So for almost 18 years, you know, soon to be 20, you've been at Florida Atlantic University. What got you there and what keeps you there? And it's, you know, you obviously you said you're focused on education, but you diversify. But what what's kept you there? and and, and What do you love about it? Definitely the people. You know, FAU has some amazing people throughout the entire institution. Students, faculty, staff, leadership, president, you name it. We we just have amazing people. Our dean in the College of Business lets us be super entrepreneurial. I'm a super entrepreneurial type of person. And if I was held into a box or something, I would just blow the box walls down. It's just not going to work. So, you know, back to Steve's point, because I had a master's degree young, I 
was never given the credit until I was mid-30s for having that degree. I was just a kid who worked a lot. That's normal, right? So I'm working one day at the Convention and Visitors Bureau, and they got a call for an adjunct teacher, which is what we call part-time teachers in, in academia. And I was the only one then who had a master's that could teach destination marketing. So they threw me into a class at Nova University, which is now Nova Southeastern, and it were all hotel general managers that decided to take the plunge to do their bachelor's. So I'm 24 and I'm surrounded by all males who are guys that are GMs. So I'm like, holy crap. But I knew the textbook and they knew the real world. And that got me sparked on teaching. So I taught part time my whole career. Around 2000, I was managing a, a beautiful Crown Plaza in Orlando and University of Central Florida was getting ready to embark on becoming the Rosen College, and Harris Rosen was getting ready to donate money. So the dean reached out and said, you know, have you ever considered doing your doctorate? You like to teach? And I said, no, nah, not really. We had a couple of chats, and lo and behold, I gave up my hotel career and went back to school. At, I, I was just be, before 40. And I finished my EDD, my doctorate in education leadership, I was at UCF teaching for four years, but I went right back to hotels because I'm like, I'm only 40. I've got a lot of energy left. And ironically, life led me back to academia here because FAU had an opening. My parents were down here and they were approaching their 80s. And I said, all right, I'll come for a couple of years. And like you said, it's been about 16, 17 years already. But it, it's the people and it's the environment. I mean, South Florida, we are hospitality. We've got casinos. We've got cruise line headquarters. We've got gourmet restaurants. We've got mom and pops. We've got the beaches. We've got everything. So in, in Florida, I've lived here since I was 12. Hospitality and tourism's never, never not been our number one private employer. And except when I was a kid, it was agriculture and we used to go neck and neck with oranges, you know, and then uh, after the Disney year, the Disney years, that's it. So I look at young people that grow up here and I'm like, you're going to work in hospitality someday, some way. You might be an accountant at Royal Caribbean. You might be an architecture at, at Coulter developing hotels. You might do this. You might do that. But it's a part of your world that you've grown up in. And we don't have state income tax thanks to visitors. And we pay a lot less than we could pay, even though cost of living here has gone up because of visitors, we pay less. And so it's it's in my DNA to be in this business. That's awesome. And just like you have quite a few certifications, one thing we found, you also have won quite a few awards as well. Is there one reward, one award or one recognition you've got that I guess kind of stands above the rest that really means means something special to you? Yeah, I always tell everybody, once you get to be a man of a certain age, you start to get awards if you're in the same field. So I, I'm very humbled by those and almost embarrassed. But the um, I guess there's one, there's two that I'm really, really proud of. One is the Distinguished Alumnus Award I won from University of Florida because the College of, of Health and Human Performance, where, where we house tourism and hospitality there, really set me on a path for success. And I was an orientation leader. I did campus visits. So I've always had that leaning toward taking care of people and loved Gainesville when I was there. So that award is very meaningful to me. And then during COVID, we had a huge certificate that went global. 
and I won the South Florida Tourism Professional of the Year. And that humbled me so greatly because the people who've won it during my lifetime have all been people I would look up to as mentors and leaders. And it was, a, again, it kind of shocked me. It was a little embarrassing, but I, I take it in stride now because I do love what I do. So I guess at some point that just comes with the turf, you know? And can you go a little bit deeper about why you won that award during COVID? Because it's truly incredible about why you won it. Well, it's just just kind of a fluke. And, you know, many people have heard this story. I mean, we have always done stuff in the community. I po- I have my own job email list, and I've done it as a, a labor of love for 20 years now. And during COVID, all the employers started to reach out to us real early in January, February, saying, hey, we're going to have layoffs. Our, our, you know, our occupancies dropped in March, et cetera, et cetera. So I went, again, entrepreneurial. We already had a certificate. I said, I'm going to put it online. And what do you think about offering it for free? Because there's going to be so many people out of work. Well, we don't, you know, we're a university. We don't really do tuition free. And we don't really do online certificate creation in three weeks. But we did all that. And I thought it would flood South Florida with a lot of... um people that needed to do something. That was the biggest feedback is all of a sudden we've been yanked away from everything we know in a 40 to 50 hour work week and we're home. And so we filled a void and I did not have a LinkedIn account, but everybody kept asking me to have a LinkedIn account. So I don't like social media as a rule. So I created one and it spread like wildfire. I mean, in the end, we had like 168 countries or something. It's just it's just a blast. So now that outpouring of love from those people, I asked everybody for a one or two dollar donation. And we wound up with so much money that now we have enough to give everybody a discount, like as long as I'm alive. And we keep rebuilding the certificate every two years. So it's just fun. But again, I created like another 40 hour a week job for myself. But that's, yeah. just, you know, <laughs> well, that's that's absolutely incredible. So now we'll get into the part of the show where you get to give your thoughts about what's going on in the industry. So you mentioned Florida's tourism, right? It, last year in 2022, they welcomed 137.6 million visitors, which was an all time record. How do you see inflation impacting tourism, not only in Florida, but in the U.S. over the next year? You know, we're all uh, cautiously waiting for the X to fall or whatever the saying is, because you can only use credit cards and use up your savings and start to dip into your retirement for a period of time before your spouse or your significant other or your kids slap you and say, stop that. So we're at a point now where, you know, they called it revenge travel. They called it post-COVID travel, whatever. People still are enjoying travel. And the rates in hotels were so outlandish when we came out of COVID, trying to make the money back quick because the demand was there. They've subsided, but everything is higher. And a big chunk of that is labor. And a big chunk of that is cost of goods. And that's not going to roll backwards. So hotels are going to be, in in particular, focus on hotels. They're going to be in a predicament to not be able to deep discount when the next recession comes. Because it's either they're going to go that strategy, which is always incorrect and proven not to work, 
or they're going to cut staff. So we're in a really weird state. And I do think travel will have issues next year. For us in Florida, the uh, silver lining is that the internationals are starting to come back. But don't think that internationally there's not inflation woes just like ours and wars and crises and climate change, you name it, you know. So, yeah, we we will succeed because we are a great, vibrant destination, but it's going to be a bumpy road even for great, vibrant destinations, plain and simple. So you had a quote in the Sun Centennial around tipping. And so you had said some people will tip a dollar per drink as much as five when they're doing a round of drinks and more upscale People feel obligated to do ten to twenty dollars for a round of drinks. I always find myself if I'm out and the tabs split, and I look over that I've already I've always tipped more because I was a waiter, I was a busboy, I've been in hospitality, so I always feel like you know everyone else is tipping twenty, I'm tipping twenty five, and right. if someone's really great, I'm tipping thirty because I feel like I want to encourage them to keep doing what they're doing. So what do you, what do you think is a general kind of rule of thumb when it comes around you know tipping? Well, you know, it's funny you ask this because I have um, kind of a, a bipartisan view on this. Being a tipped employee most of my life, I've always given the best service possible and it did improve my tips. So I've always been like you, a better tipper, right? So I think the needle has moved away from the 70s and 80s where 10% was the minimum up to about 15 and a good tip should be 20, 22%. But I hear this term now, tipflation, where the consumers are tired of it because technology has provided at the tip of their fingers a tip requirement or request at every point of contact with anybody. And so when you're at Panera and you're placing your order, there's a message, do you want a tip? When you're at the gas station checking out, I got one the other day at a Shell asking if I wanted to tip the counter attendant at the Shell. So out of habit, we used to just tip. Well, even the, the numerical slider has been changed to 20, 22, 24. And if you don't see the tiny little word custom to go in and custom, so you don't want to stand there as a consumer and bumble and hit custom and they know you're doing it or it's a weird time. So I think employers, this is one of our macro level issues, have shifted to the service staff the ability to earn more and keep them paying less. And it's an ongoing battle that I don't like. You know, I was at a Carabas restaurant last week and the GM told me that he's now at $9 an hour minimum for all servers and all servers are tipped. And that slowly crept up from $3, $4, $5. It's taking an impact, which means all of us are going to pay more. And when does it break out? And there's an argument, I don't know. But to your point, David, I always tip better than most everybody else because it's been in my nature. But if I have poor service, I bring it up. If I have great service, I also bring it up. I encourage my students not to only complain, but if they have a complaining mentality, they better also write nice letters when they get great service. So I encourage them to do both. And just today, I went to McDonald's to get my morning iced tea. And I gave the great attendant that's always there in the morning her $25 gift card for the holiday. She was like, stunned. I'm like, you deserve it. You're always the best in the morning. And what does it cost me? 25 bucks a year to say, hey, I appreciate you. So I've just always been that kind of person. It's in our nature in the business. But shifting the 
responsibility of care, trying to put more tips on your service people. I don't buy that business model. I don't like it at all. Yeah, it's really tough because I, what, you know, what, when I get, I get asked like, where's the best place you've ever received service and being a hotelier, you would think I would, I'd have some fancy, Oh, I was at this resort. I was in Europe. And I say, Oh, the Dunkin' Donuts outside of Penn station, the women that worked there knew when I wasn't there, they knew what I drank. They would ask me, Oh, you've been, you've been traveling. We haven't seen you. They had my drink ready. And it was like, I'm buying a you know $3 iced coffee and I'm getting better service than spending $300 a night at a hotel where the, the front desk just says, you know, checking in. You're like, well, what else would I be doing here? But anyway, you know, but, it's, yeah, yeah, good point. I got to grab this. Hold on. Because right. you'll appreciate <laughs> this. <laughs> and to that same point, here's my two gift cards for Duncan. They're already written out. <laughs> um, the, um, the Duncan by my house, when I pull in, it's either I'm an iced tea junkie. So it's either McDonald's or Duncan, whichever line's shorter. When I pull into the Dunkin', I'll say, hey, can I, Peter, what's up? We got it. They know from my voice on the on the poorly working speaker. <laughs> to me, that's service, right? That's not that's not luxury hotel. That's a Dunkin'. But if they do it right, I'm going to reward them because Lord knows they could use it and they and they appreciate it, you know? And those are the people we, I think, not fail, but. I mean, those are the type of people that you want to pull into because you wouldn't consider Dunkin' Donuts hospitality or McDonald's. But those are the people that we got to pull in that just love their job, love being with yep. people. I consider them a big part of our overarching business. And when I was a GM, I always tried to uh, I would say, do you like your job? How much are you making? Have you ever considered working in a hotel? I'm not here to poach you, but keep an open mind. Here's my business card. Always, always, always. And, you know, because many of them don't even think about hospitality as a career. Most humans don't think of it as a career. It's just usually thought of as a stopping point to something else or a job. But we are a definite place for a career, period. You know? Absolutely. That was great. So I'm excited about this one being on the technology side. But in October, you wrote an article called The New Era of Hotel Marketing integrating cutting-edge technologies with core marketing principles. So what will the impact of these emerging technologies like virtual reality, artificial intelligence, what impact are those going to have on hotels? You know, the impact will be the savvy tech people who get the specific environment of those brands or those guests, whatever that is. Because to me, I am not technology averse. I'm almost 60, but I have no problem with technology. So think about the people who are going to be using your hotel that are 50 years younger than I am. They're going to be so tech savvy that if we don't move the business forward in technology, we're going to fail. And we've always been a very stagnant business to change. Now, having said that, I'm very cautious about owners who just buy the bells and whistles. They might purchase software or use apps that don't apply to their environment, but they really felt that they were sexy and fun. That's not how to do it. The the way to do it is to get a tech guy like you, Steve, bring you in, understand our culture, and then see how we can make the experience better with the infusion of technology. And if we reduce full-time equivalents, FTEs along the way, fantastic. But the goal shouldn't be, I'm going to use technology to immediately cut 20% of my staff. And that's how a lot of people think off the top. 
So instead, I flip it and say, okay, what would make your experience better? You know, I've been on some cruises lately where the the apps on the ships have been outstanding and they really make my experience better. And then I've been on others where they have a full plate on your phone and you really don't need all those. So it's just got to be smart technology and meeting the guest where the guest is. You know, you go high-end luxury that might have an older demographic. It might be a different type of new technology that works there first. But that cruise line or hotel or restaurant might have 10 other brands in their portfolio where different technology will work. You can't roll out one to the whole thing. And that's that's problematic when you have a big chain like Darden. Think about Darden restaurants. I mean, they've got the super end of Capitol Grill and Eddie V's. And then they've got Olive Garden. Well, an Olive Garden guest is going to be looking for different stuff than an Eddie V's guest. You know, Eddie V's paying about $150 a head. Olive Garden paying maybe $17 to $24 a head, somewhere in there. So I look at technology to be an assistant to my provision of experience, not just for bells and whistles. And the guy I co-wrote that with is an amazing guy. He's got a bachelor's in computer science a master's in hospitality IT, and then his doctoral focus is on technology with consumer behavior in hospitality. So that's his whole focus of life is using technology in the right way to enhance guests. You know, I would say enhance guests to spend money, but it's not about money. You got to make them happy. They're happy, they'll spend money. And, uh, you know, happy comes from the staff treating them well and the technology working and being what they want. So, yeah, it's an interesting time to be alive. I, you know, I wish I was I were 18 again. I'd start all over in hospitality. I'd do something different. I love casinos because I think they use technology in fantastic ways for loyalty programs and player tracking and spend. But it would still be hospitality. I wish somebody had smacked me when I was 20 and just said, don't go to law school. Just keep doing what you're doing. I wouldn't have lost the year and a half. But that's okay. <laughs> yeah, you, you appreciate it more now. That's yeah, all. Okay. So, half yeah. a semester was all it took to get me out of that crap. <laughs> so we could say for the last couple of years, this year included the industry as a whole, labor shortage has been an issue. And we've there's been a lot of talk about how do you attract people to hospitality? How do you, you've touched on it several times. How do you get people to understand that it is a career? So what do you see next year in 2024 Outside of the staffing and labor shortage, what issues do you see or what highlights do you see that you think will be coming into next year? Well, on the positive side, I think the sexy and the happy are back. I see people a little happy to be back in the hospitality business and the sexiness is back about travel. We lost that for a while, definitely. One of the knee-jerk reactions that I think industry had to do was to raise entry-level wages after COVID just to get people in the door. But what happened there were, you know, don't forget, we interacted with almost 100,000 of them through our certificate. So we heard stories on the macro level. The sixty dollars to $100,000 person was not brought back right away. What were brought back were the baristas, the servers, the front desk agents at a higher price point. So a lot of people in the industry now in these frontline positions came for the dollar amount and they're giving it a try. 
as soon as guests are irate or give them a challenge, they bail out of the industry. So I think for the negative for next year is that the turnover has to be focused on. So more training, more engagement, and more fact that that we're a career path. And in the higher ed space that I work in, we're all down in enrollments when it comes to hospitality. Luckily, we bounced fairly well in South Florida to be at, at 80% of where we were, but we were on a trajectory of growth for all 16 years. So if every program in the country is down 1% to 50%, think about that impact on the workplace. So we're going to have to look at certificates and high schoolers and other people and get them excited about the business. So the pro is that things are good. You can come in now. I I will not tolerate anybody telling me we're a low paying field anymore. We pay just as well entry level as you're going to find somewhere else, almost in every case. And what's even better right now is you can move up more rapidly because of the space that exists from the turnover. So I see it as a very good thing, but it's a little daunting if you think there's 50 or 100 or 200,000 fewer people coming out of hospitality schools when we already had a labor shortage historically, you know, we've always had a problem and struggle to find good labor. So I don't know, you know, maybe Steve has an app for that. (laughs) (laughs) Not yet, not yet. So uh, you kind of touched on this a little bit, but I'd like to go deeper. And you also wrote an article that, you know, talking about how we need to inspire the next generation of hoteliers by using instrumental tactics, what are the best ways we can inspire this next generation? You know, it's funny, uh, and I'm glad you brought up hoteliers because of all my time in this business, the hotel part was my favorite for multiple reasons. It's very family-like. You're welcoming people to your big house, and it's often like running a big city. So the way I try to inspire students, and this is one of the reasons we're a business school model of of, uh, hospitality school, is that it doesn't matter what your interest is. If it's HR, if it's accounting, if it's marketing, if it's finance, all those pieces go into the hotel business. So if I can engage you to be happy with your chosen major or discipline, or if you're non-college student, your interest area, and then show you how that works in the hotel space, I think we can inspire a lot of people because it's very rewarding to welcome people to your house all the time. You know, there's always aunts and uncles that drive you crazy, just like the guests, you know, but overall, it's a feeling that you don't get in other businesses. And the variety of activity every day appeals to the newer generation. They're very short-term in their focus, and they like project-based work, and they like achievement results where they get their medal or they get a a $100 bonus, whatever it is. So there's a lot of opportunity within hotels to promote to the future generation excitement. But what I've done now is when we came out of COVID, we went from about 1,300 students to 400. So my heart was in my throat, right? We're back up to about 950 this semester. And I think we'll kind of stagnate at about 1,000, but that's okay. But we still lost 300. So what I do now within the 1,000 is I purposefully every day focus on the ones that really show me genuine interest and care for guests. 
then I pull them in and I take the extra time to find them the right spot. That's what I've been doing. So, you know, so my job is very fun in that, you know, one day I'm consulting with a hotel owner because they're going into budget. The next day, like today, I'm going to the diplomat to meet the new general manager and see one of my alum who's only been out eight years and already a very high level revenue guy at Hilton. So I like the success stories. And then I try to get them back into the classroom because they don't want to see a 58 year old dude. They want to see someone who's 25, 27, just graduated, hopefully has a TikTok account. You know, they want to be influencers. They want to work project based. I don't blame them. And and you can do that with structure. And then there's always going to be that that one sector that wants to work with the guest every day and loves it. I had a uh, server at Seasons 52 yesterday, one of the Darden brands, 14 years with the same store, won the server of the year for the whole company, couldn't be fresher and happier in her job. I would have thought it was her first week after training. Just so delightful. So why would you pull someone like that away if that's what she gels on? I said, what gels for you? She said, I don't have to do scheduling. I have regulars, so I make great money. And I only work the four shifts a week that I want. And I'm like, more power to you, right? So, so, you know, you don't have to be the GM or the regional. You can have a perfect life in this business if you just match up who I say you do you which I stole from Stacy Ritter, who's the, the, the CEO of uh, Visit Lauderdale. She says it all the time. And I'm like, you're right, Stacy. you do you, because our business permits you to do you. I like that. I love that. That's awesome. So our producer, John, has been kind of behind the scenes this whole time listening. He has the one final question for you before we head out, Peter. Uh, hope he's not the toughie. <laughs> uh, well, we'll see. One thing like from your last answer that you were getting to that I heard from what you said was the flexibility piece that I don't think a lot of people sell into it, sell in like try to sell to future employees. And for me, I used to be a banquet manager in food and beverage at a hotel. I was, and I got started doing that because I played in a band and I toured a couple weeks at a time. And this job let me do that and come back. And they were excited to have me and I was excited to come back. And I always tell people, if you're looking for something like that, where you can do what you want and still work a job that you like, like that's a good option. I'm curious what you have to say about the flexibility and how we kind of package that and let people know about it. So like it can be a big benefit to their life. It's so funny because we're taken as a business that's 24-7 open all the time as a negative. And it frustrates the crap out of me because I'm like, I have students who are on-call banquet setup guys and ladies in Boca. They make great money. They pick the shifts they want and they go to school. And when they have finals, they pick and do. And the hotels, if you're good at it, the hotels will always want you on that team. So you're not going to lose your job. When I was in college, I was a trip director for Merits, one of my other hospitality jobs that the light bulb didn't go on that I should be in the business, right? And I would go do projects. I'd go to Nevis for three days and do registration. I'd go to, the, to Atlantis and help with the check-in. Those were all jobs that I could do. And one of my trip director friends, that's all she did is made her own schedule because her husband had the benefits and her husband had the more structured schedule and she could be the trip director. Well, the students that want flexibility, I tell them, look at casinos that are 24-7 
You're a night owl. What are you doing working at Bank of America? No offense to Bank of America, but they're not open at night. You, you know, I want to smack them. I have a student right now. She's working at a place that's uh, open um, weekends only. It's like a little uh, alligator tour kind of thing. And she she doesn't want to work weekends because she has a kid. I'm like, hello. You know, there's plenty of other places <laughs> open Monday through Friday. So, yeah, uh, John, you, you're spot on. You just have to prove yourself that you're a good employee. And then we need people so much. We want the good employees. We'll work with you. Now, granted, that doesn't mean you can come to me. I have, you know, sometimes I'll get a student who comes with a printout. I can work Mondays, one to four, Wednesday, 6 a.m. to nine. Then I have to volunteer. I mean, that doesn't work for our business either. But you prove yourself to me. I'm always going to let you come back and I'm always going to work with you because we're open, you know? And that was that was my experience too. Is like when I was there, it wasn't like when I was back, like I was not touring, and I was be back. It would be if somebody need if I need to pick up a shift or they need me to come in, I'm ready to do it. I was just gone for two weeks, so I'm like, I I, I want to be a part of it and help it succeed. And they never said don't come back. And I actually got promoted. I continued to get promoted. Like so, that also shows good leadership in that property from the GM and HR director that they had that kind of culture. Because I have all too many GMs, they're like, oh, students, I don't want a student. I'm like, what are you talking about? You know, meanwhile, they have the 35% open positions. So, so, you know, and I'll leave you with this. One of the things that baffles me, you know, I put, uh, thankfully for Andrea and my team, we post probably one to 3,000 jobs a week for free for employers. And we have a faithful email list. Anybody can opt into it from anywhere over the world. The one thing I dread is when I go to a hotel and they're like, God, we have such a need. And then I look and they haven't posted their jobs in a year. So <laughs> it's both ways, my friend. <laughs> you know, yeah. It's both ways. You got to be out. You got to be vibrant. And you got to have a culture of I want people to work in this business. Well, Peter, that does it for another episode of The Modern Hotelier. This is the part where you get to let people know how they can find out more about FAU, how they can get in touch with you. So plug away, Peter. So, uh, you know, just look me up on LinkedIn, Peter, Richie, R-I-C-C-I, I'll connect you. We have a certificate that we update every two years at FAU. It's 199 bucks, but we have so many donations. We give everybody 50 bucks discount. So it's 149 until we run out of money. And hopefully while I'm alive, we won't run out of money. So uh, come back. The one starting in March is awesome. We have 30 separate videos. I interviewed the president of Region 7 Seas. I hope to interview Christine Duffy from Carnival in February. So there's interviews with leaders. There's sessions on AI and what people are doing with it, sessions on menu design. It's just a little taste of many different things to keep you engaged with the industry and see what's going on today. And if any of you can recommend a tech person for an interview, I'd love a tech company showcase, either a PMS or an app or something fun to do a one-on-one interview in there. So I can't thank you guys enough for letting us get the word out. Come work in hospitality. Don't be shy. It's it's definitely a great place. That does it for another episode of The Modern Hotelier. We look forward to seeing or talking to you soon. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. Welcome to today's episode. We're thrilled to introduce you to Stay Flexi, an innovative platform revolutionizing the hospitality industry. Backed by Y Combinator, Stay Flexi is a modern, all-in-one PMS platform. Leveraging the power of AI, it's transforming how hotels operate. 
maximizing efficiency and boosting sales for unsold rooms. Already, over 2,000 properties worldwide have made the switch to stay flexi, experiencing the difference it makes. And here's the best part. Exclusively for our listeners, Stay Flexi is offering an incredible lifetime deal at just $149 per month. That's an astounding 80% discount. Don't miss this opportunity to elevate your hotel's performance with Stay Flexi. Stay tuned for more details. You made it to the end of The Modern Hotelier. Thanks for listening. The Modern Hotelier is produced by Make More Media. Make sure to like and subscribe if you're watching on YouTube or follow wherever you get your podcasts. If you know of a guest or sponsor that would be a good fit, feel free to email us at hello at themodernhotelier.com. Thanks and have a great day.